Hi everybody. We are recording the last message in this series a little bit after the fact because we had a problem with our live stream on Sunday morning, but we wanted the whole series to be complete. Uh, the series in Colossians that are like and follow series. So we are recording this just a couple of days later so that we can have a complete end cap on our series. So if it looks a little different, that would be why. Listen, uh, here we are at the end of Colossians. And I'll start by just saying this, you know, I understand that there is a general attitude in culture that the scriptures are perhaps old and outdated. Maybe people think that there are maybe some good stories. They have some good wisdom. Certainly Jesus was someone to listen to as an exemplary moral teacher, but in general, the Bible is worth the dust that it's collecting on the shelf. Uh, that's probably something you've heard. Maybe that's even something that you have felt yourself. And I understand that the Bible is not as easy to read as the latest novel that is hitting the shelves right now You're by your favorite author. I know that the Bible requires some prayer and some study and some reflection and some discernment to be able to internalize what it is that you're reading on those pages. Maybe it just seems too hard or it just seems irrelevant or just seems not worth the effort. I know that sometimes those are the attitudes that are out there about the scriptures. Um, I grew up in the church and um, I have been taught since I was a child about the um, supremacy and the inerrancy of scriptures. Like that's, that's been true in my mind for as long as I can remember, but that does not mean that I thought that I could, I, I could ever really understand the Bible, not in the same way that like, my dad, who was a pastor, uh, understood the Bible. My other pastors in my life, like they really were going to be able to understand the Bible, but other people like me just weren't ever going to be able to really get it. Because honestly, it just seemed like a lot. Maybe you have felt that way too. I want to tell you that one day, um, several years ago, I don't remember when it was. I looked back. I couldn't find the first time I had done it. Um, but I decided to do a Bible in a year plan. And the reason I did is because somebody, like I was already in pastoral ministry and, uh, somebody said to me, well, I mean, I mean, I know you, you know, you've read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover. It <laughs> made me just pause a little bit. And I thought, I mean, I have, right? Like I have, I ever, I'm sure that I have read the whole thing a, a couple of times, maybe like, I, but I don't think I had ever done it in a specific amount of time, cover to cover and known that I've known that I've known that every single word of those pages I had read. And I just thought, oh my goodness, like I better just make sure that I have done this for myself. And so um, I think it was a chronological plan. It was just one I found in you version, just like you could do today. Um, and I started reading the Bible in a year for the very first time. And I have done it every year since then. And I have realized that those small repetitions, those small um, times in scripture, every single day over and over and over again, have made me realize something that literally anyone can get to know the scriptures. The thing I needed to do was just to start. So even though I was in pastoral ministry and I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on the word, I, I had been to Bible college and all of those things, it still did feel like some of those things, like it was a little bit too hard or it was a, gonna be a little bit too much for me to really understand. And I realized as I got into it more and more and more that that just wasn't true, that anybody could learn 
to read the scriptures. And like, that's not my message for this morning. I just wanted to throw that little encouragement in here because we have been uh, studying deeply in the book of Colossians. And I, I just keep thinking, this is for anybody. Anybody could do this. Anybody uh, could, could study and learn the scriptures the way that we do here on Sunday mornings. And so also, you know, to the cultural narrative, so far from being outdated or irrelevant, so far from needing to exert extreme effort to gain something worthwhile from its pages, the Bible is alive. And this is what I have learned more and more and more and more um, as I have continued on in my study of the scriptures. I certainly do not understand it all. I am still have, I still have so much to learn, but my understanding is growing little by little by little as I, as I do these small repetitions over time. And it is like being in the word is now not a chore. It's not just something I think I probably should do. It is one of the greatest joys of my life. So as I have been combining, becoming familiar with the word, just those repetitions over time, um, for the last many years, and now over this past um, couple of years, and then specifically just finishing this project by memorizing the book of Colossians, this letter to the church in Colossae from the apostle Paul, this, this combination of things has really driven something home to me that I knew, like I knew, but now I know, do you know what I mean by that? Uh, the Bible was written about and for real people like, I knew that, of course I knew that, but as I get into the word more and specifically as I have worked so hard on the book of Colossians um, in my own life, I really start to see these words as being written to real people. Like as in people that could be you or me, but just born in a different place or time, like, like real people who are receiving these real messages in real time. And um, it's just really, that's really come alive to me in a new way. So the end of the book of Colossians, I say that to say this, the end of the book of Colossians is a list of a, a whole bunch of names. It's greetings from Paul to the people who he's writing to in Colossae. And you might read that and at first glance think like, that's not super helpful to me in my life. I'm like looking for answers to real problems and real things that I'm facing right now. But I want to, I want to still, we're going to park on it and it is Pentecost Sunday. It was, I mean, I know we're a couple days later now, but we, we were, we're talking about Pentecost Sunday. And so I want to take this list, this, these greetings from Colossians chapter four, and I want to set them up in context. And then I want to place them against the backdrop of Pentecost Sunday. So something a little bit different, something a little bit new, but, um, but stick with me as we go through this last chapter. We've been through a lot in this fairly short letter. Uh, in, in chapter one, Paul has prayed for the church. He has described the supremacy of Jesus. He's told them that he's pouring out all his effort into making sure that they are maturing in their faith. And then in chapter two, he sort of throws a flag on the play. Uh, he says that they are tempted to add cultural relevance and, and religious tradition to their faith. And, and he says, no, you need to just just look at Jesus. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. And he says that in no uncertain terms. And then in chapter three, he tells them to set their minds and hearts on things above and to let their lives reflect that they are doing that, that they are dying to sin, that they're living with this new set of clothes that they get to put on and that their whole identity would flow from their creator who is Christ. And 
He adds to that then these practical applications. There's the submitting and serving one another in all of the relationships we have in our homes and in the world and uh, setting a Christ-like example in everything you do. And so now he finishes this letter with one more thing Pastor Ethan shared last week and then some greetings. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in how you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending to him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, uh, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God and have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you re received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And with that, is the, we have the end of four chapters in the book of Colossians. Listen, I, I don't know these folks in these greetings at the, at the end of this book, this letter. I don't know them personally, of course, but, uh, but in some way, just from what I've studied, let me introduce them to you really quickly. Tychicus is the letter carrier. He's doing the same thing in Ephesians chapter six. He's the offering carrier, taking a gift from one church to another. We see that in Acts chapter 20. He's a news sharer. That's obvious from what Paul says about him. Uh, but that would be because so much couldn't just be written down. It was shared by word of mouth. And so uh, Tychicus was, was trusted to do that, to, to share what was going on. He's kind of like Paul's personal messenger, very trusted in that way. And he receives basically the highest praise that he can receive, which is that he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Like what else can he say about him, right? Onesimus is an interesting one because he's the runaway slave who has reached Rome, but he's being sent back to his master Philemon. 
And so this is interesting because uh, Onesimus at some point had left Philemon. Philemon, yes, that, that letter to Philemon, which is being carried by Tychicus uh, with this letter to the church in Colossae. So there's that letter that we, we also have in the New Testament that you can read at another time. So the, there's this slave owner, Philemon, who's a, a brother in Christ now, and there's Onesimus who has found Christ now and is serving with Paul, and Paul is sending him back to Philemon and, and is saying, hey, um, listen, church, he is a faithful and dear brother, which just even in that is saying, listen, he's a legitimate follower of Christ, and so you need to consider that as this family, as this master and servant and this household is reconciled in a new relationship in the Lord. This is all going to happen. These are all things that are hinted at. So see how that dynamic plays out. Aristarchus was also with Tychicus in Acts 20. He seems to be a good man to have in a tight corner. He is uh, taken by a mob in Ephesus in Acts 19. He is with Paul on his final trip to Rome as a prisoner in Acts chapter 27. He is always on hand when things are most difficult. When Paul is in trouble, Aristarchus seems to just be there. Uh, then there's Mark. Mark is interesting. Hey, he's called a, a spiritual son of Peter's. Peter says this about him in 1 Peter 5. He And Peter, of course, would have likely been the source of Mark's gospel material. Yes, Mark, the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. But Mark had an interesting ministry trajectory because he went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and when it got tough he quit and it took a long time for Paul to trust him again or to forgive him but Barnabas advocated for him and even took him on further missionary and ministry um, endeavors but uh, Paul wasn't so keen to do that and it took him a long time to trust him again but there's Mark during Paul's final imprisonment and, and Paul is saying that he's useful to have around. He says that in Philemon 24 and 2 Timothy 4. The Colossians might have been suspicious of Mark knowing his history. And so there's Paul saying, I have already sent instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. All of that is water under the bridge. All is grace. All is forgiven. We're moving on from the, the past and we're moving into the future. It's a nice pastoral family, church family thing going on here. Then there's Justice, who is uh, unknown, except that he was there working alongside Paul and not going by the name Jesus, but instead by the name Justice. There's Epaphras, of course. We've learned about Epaphras in chapter 1. Uh, he is their pastor who has gone to Paul to ask for some help with the church and all the things they're dealing with. But he probably was more than that. He was probably the overseer of, um, of a group of, of churches in three towns, Herapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. And, and Paul says, yeah, like he's legitimately working hard for you and for all, all of the churches in those three towns. And uh, he's, he's here with me working alongside and I'm totally vouching for him. Luke, the beloved doctor who was with Paul till the end, 2 Timothy 4 tells us. And uh, Paul, Luke also, of course, wrote the Gospel of Luke and he also wrote the Book of Acts. Uh, so, you know, and he shows up on these missionary endeavors somewhere in the middle of the Book of Acts uh, to go alongside Paul. And there's Demas, who in Philemon is called a fellow laborer. In Colossians here, just his name is mentioned. And in 2 Timothy, uh, we're told that he had forsaken and deserted Paul because he loved the world. So whatever happened there with Demas, his story didn't end quite as well as some of these others. 
Nympha uh, is mentioned here. Since there were no church buildings at the time, believers met in the houses of the church leaders. So it's almost certain that Nympha would have been the leader of her house church. Then there's Archippus, who was called a fellow soldier in Philemon 24. Likely he was part of Philemon's household or part of his house church. And he had received some kind of ministry in the Lord. We don't know what it was, but certainly he would have when he received this message and he was being encouraged to not give up. And so now we see there's a connection. Um, hopefully you can see that between what Pastor Ethan shared last week and these final greetings, because in order to walk out this transformed life, in order for us to clearly share about Jesus, wherever we find ourselves and, and to do the things that we are called to just a few verses earlier, we have to understand that we need a community of believers who, who are full of the Holy Spirit, working and praying and serving and boldly living for Christ alongside of us. As one commentary put it, how was Paul able to maintain his perspective while in prison? With so many churches so close to his heart, how was he able to keep up with helping each one face their own unique challenge? Was he Superman? No, he had help. He had help. And this is just a small list of those, just in this one uh, section of churches that were exactly that for Paul and for one another. These people were heroes of the faith. They weren't ashamed to say that they were on the same team as Paul. And that was no small thing because he was in jail. They risked their lives and reputations to work alongside him for the gospel. But you might be wondering, why are these greetings in the Bible? Why aren't they just footnotes? Why do we consider them divinely inspired scripture? Like that's kind of a high bar for this. Like, hey, say hi to this person. Hey, say hi to this person for me. So why? I read one comment in, in what I was studying that I thought was maybe a good summary of this really simply. And it just said simply this. Maybe it just shows us what God blesses. There's a lot of places in the New Testament, several that are very similar to the end of the book of Colossians, greetings like this, specifically from Paul, but it, it happens with other writers as well. And perhaps the whole point of, of, of seeing it, that this is not just the end of a letter, but this is considered divinely inspired scripture. This shows us what it is that God blesses, how it is that this is supposed to be set up, how it is that we're supposed to be working together for the kingdom, how vital these relationships are among us. In the body of Christ, body of Christ, remember that he's the head and we are connected to him and therefore to one another. Uh, we're reminded in the beginning of Colossians 4 that we are called to cooperate, not be independent or to compete, to, to pray for missions opportunities for ourselves and for others. We're supposed to pray for mission opportunities for the entire world as, as well as our own city. We're supposed to pray that every Christian in every circumstance will have the wisdom and courage to communicate the gospel boldly and clearly. We're supposed to do all these things in cooperation and prayerfulness and watchfulness, of course. But the, tr the truth is this. People are disappointing. <laughs> People can be so disappointing. And you know what else is crazy? We are also disappointing to other people. We disappoint others all the time. We think of ourselves more often than we should. We look to our own comfort. We struggle to consider others first. These, are our, these things are our natural inclination. These are part of our fallen nature. 
But we know from chapter three, verse seven, that those attitudes are from the life that we once lived before we took off our old selves and put on the new self. And so, so, so how on earth, if that's true, we, we know that we disappoint one another so frequently, so easily. How on earth can we be this body of Christ that we're called to be? And in fact, you know, when you think about it, how, how much we need this to be true. How can we be the body of Christ that we need ourselves to be for one another and for the kingdom? For us to be mature and to be effective, how can, how can we possibly do this? Well, remember how we've taken off the old self and put on the new self. We've talked about that, I already mentioned it a couple of times from our talk from chapter three. It says that there's this clothing that we've taken off and this clothing that we've put on and Acts tells us exactly what that clothing is. Luke, in his, in his account here, uh, very specifically tells us from something that Jesus said. It says that the clothing is the Holy Spirit. We are clothed with power from on high, it says. It says that that happens when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is only uh, mentioned by name a couple of times in Colossians, twice in chapter one and once in chapter three, and that's it. But when you look at the whole counsel of scripture, which we want to always be cautious to do, um, when, when the whole counsel of scripture is helping us, we know that we are, that what we are called to is only possible when we're given power that's more than what we have on our own. Luke 24, 49, uh, there's, uh, uh, records Jesus saying this to his disciples. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. And then this narrative is picked up by the writer Luke in Acts uh, chapter one, his, his next volume, Acts chapter one, verses five and eight says this kind of continuation of the same narrative. Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So then what happened? Well, Acts 2 describes it for us. Let's read it together. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So then after this happens, Peter gets up and he preaches to the crowd full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he does just what is intended with this power. He witnesses for Christ. And verse 40 tells us that those who accepted his message and were baptized were about 3,000. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And these new believers now full of the Holy Spirit, understanding who Christ is, being baptized in obedience to the word. What is it that these believers full of the Holy Spirit then did? Well, verse 42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what I think about Colossians chapter 4. I think that this Acts chapter 2 account that we just read is the origin story of those greetings at the end of the letter to the Colossians. To be effective in the world with the message of Christ, they needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and they had to devote themselves to one another. That's what those, those uh, first believers understood. And you could even argue that because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they were able to devote themselves to one another. Because, because we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be about something other than ourselves. We need to be transformed. We need the Holy Spirit to be working in our lives in this way. They loved and served Christ and they, and they looked like Christ and they lived like Christ because they were being daily transformed by the spirit. And I think that if you could draw a line from what happened in Acts chapter two, all the way to the end of the book of Colossians, that as believers uh, came to know Christ, were filled with the Holy spirit, were sharing their faith and being devoted to one another, that this created a community of the church that was so necessary for what needed to be done for the kingdom of God. And, and years, many years later, you can draw a line from, from the pouring out of the Holy Spirit um, at that time in that place and that devotion and that set up in the kingdom of God, that set up inside of the church for how we relate to one another all the way through to these relationships that were built to, to expand the king, that were built to encourage the believers, that were built to, to share and to, and to pray and to devote and to, to learn and to, and to serve and all of the things that they did together. These things, so Acts 2 is like the origin story to me of Colossians 4. And this is it, friends. This is the most practical thing I can tell you about living out a life, uh, the life of a Jesus follower. This trumps every trick and tip that I can think of. And we do, we talk about that a lot, different ways that you can read the word, different ways that you can pray, different, different models of these things. And they can all be really, really helpful. And, and we will continue to talk about those things in the future, I'm sure. But I'm telling you that this one thing trumps everything else. We need the power of the Holy Spirit completely filling our lives. We need to learn day by day to listen for his voice, to surrender to his leadership. Galatians calls this being in step with the Spirit. We need to learn what that looks like in our everyday life. We need the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit more than anything else that we need. And I have the actual best news for you, friends. If you have received Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, the Holy Spirit already lives in you. And that's a moment to say amen. If there were some people in here, I know I would hear it. We heard it on Sunday morning. This is the most incredible thing because not only do you get all of the benefits of being in Christ, but all of the things that you are, you know, taking off that old clothing, putting on the, all the things that, you know, you, you know, you need to do all of that selfishness that 
that wrestles inside of you that you want to surrender. All of that is given power through the Holy Spirit. You can live for Christ. You can say yes to him. You can surrender to him because the Holy Spirit already lives in you. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we love to use the phrase, we cooperate with what he's doing. We cooperate with what he's doing. If you've ever had a toddler in your life, maybe an 18 month old, like just like a, a small child and you know that you need to get out the door to do something. Maybe you're going somewhere fun. You're going to the park. Maybe you're going to the pool. Maybe you're going to the splash pad, whatever. And you want to get out of the house with that toddler, but you need to dress them. And, and, and all they can do, all that that child does is run away from you. All they do is squirm and, and all they do is fuss and must. And all you can say to yourself is, if you would just cooperate with me, helping you put your pants on, we could get somewhere today. We could do the most amazing thing today. I have so much, so much great stuff for you today, but we have, you have to cooperate with the thing I'm trying to do in your life. That's kind of the picture I get here with the Holy Spirit. He's already working. He's already got a plan. He's already moving you in Christ likeness and as, as a follower of Jesus. He already has everything you need for life and godliness. And he's just saying, Hey, surrender and cooperate with what I'm doing. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move on from here. We're going to grow. We're going to mature. Cooperate with what he's doing. He's already in your life. He's already growing that fruit of the spirit in you. Just cooperate with what he's trying to do. That's, I love that phrase for what that means. We also believe and, and have experienced for ourselves, not just philosophically, but like in a practical sense, a subsequent experience of surrender and infilling of the Holy Spirit. Like, just like we read about in Acts chapter two, we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent event to that, that initial filling, like the, the Holy Spirit living in you, of course, as a Christ follower, which is an incredible gift. But this, this subsequent experience does two amazing things. It gives you boldness to live for and to share Christ like never before. And it gives you a spiritual prayer language, which we call tongues, which is called tongues in scripture. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, while it is a subsequent experience, I want you to really understand something for me. It is not a spiritual badge. It is not a leveling up. It's not seeking after the ability to speak in tongues. Sometimes we get a little bit confused in our teaching here, but that's not at all what we read in scripture. And in fact, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's not a leveling up, a spiritual badge, some kind of a, some kind of a, like, you know, you're better spiritually than somebody else by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, in a way, it's leveling down. It's humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and asking for more of him and less of you. So much so that you're willing to submit your speech to him. That's how I understand it, how, how um, we're able to speak in tongues. Like you're literally saying, God, I want so much more of you that I am willing to surrender even what I say. I'm not going to try to control anything. I just want what you want for me. That's why I think of it like a leveling down. It's not a spiritual badge of honor. It's a, it's a moment in your life. It's a surrendering to, um, to even more of God. It's a gift for the spiritually hungry. It's a gift for the weak. It's a gift for the needy. And I'm telling you that this baptism that we read about in Acts 2 is available 
today. You can ask for it today. In Luke chapter 11, he records these words of Jesus. Jesus says, he's talking about, you know, um, ask and you should receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And, 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 you know, you, you, you fathers, you don't give bad gifts to your kids. You're not a monster. Of course not. And he says, then if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is shown here as, as like the most incredible gift that it, that he wants to pour out on his children. Just like we read about in the book of Acts, that's available today. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a really distinctive belief of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, which is our church is one of them. And we really truly deeply believe in the yes and of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, we believe that, that he is, he fully fills your life at salvation. And we also believe in the subsequent baptism of the spirit that gives you power to witness, that gives you this sign of tongues to show that the gift has been given to you. And so yet you have this gift of this prayer language as well, uh, that will, that will really, uh, be deeply, deeply effective in your prayer life. We believe in that. Yes. And yes, you are full of the spirit. There's because you believe in Jesus and yes, there's even more of the Holy Spirit that he wants to pour out in your life. And like all the gifts that God gives apart from salvation, And the reason that we get excited about the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not only just because it's really neat and we read about it in scripture and so then it must be true, but we have experienced it. I have experienced it and the boldness and this prayer language. And it is so incredible. It is so incredible to see God working in your life in ways that you could never have even known how to imagine. It's everyday people just like Colossians four, just like Acts chapter two, everyday people asking for more of God, asking for this gift and receiving it as a gift from the Lord. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Colossians four reminds us that the Bible was written about and for real people. Like again, as in born at a different place in time, but they could be you and me. So all of this is for us too. So my question is at the end of this message, at the end of this series, the end of this letter to the church in Colossae, what are you willing to say yes to? As we focus on Pentecost this past weekend, what are you willing to say yes to? Sometimes we get really nervous when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Some of you have had really bad experiences in that you've seen some things that made you uncomfortable that you've seen some things that you thought that that can't be that can't be the lord <laughs> that, that's just too weird or or sometimes there's manipulation that's happened or sometimes there's hurt that's happened or different things i don't know maybe you just never heard anything about the holy spirit before and so you have a lot of questions and curiosities that's cool too i understand that we're all coming from a different place i have been there myself i have been in a place where i wondered were the gifts of the spirit worth pursuing when so often I have seen people take them and use them to their own advantage or 
and emotionally manipulate or all the different kinds of things that we can do in our own flesh and humanity that's not of the Lord. Through some wise counsel and through some own, my own experiences, I've realized I don't have to be <laughs> that. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to uh, just have an emotional response to the Lord. All of those things I maybe have seen versions of all of that in my life, but I realized that for me in my life, I don't have to do that. I can simply say, yes, Holy Spirit come in my life, do whatever you wanna do. Do whatever you wanna do. I, I'm not, I'm, I, I wanna be, be surrendered to receive the gift. I wanna stay surrendered to use the gift of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wanna, I wanna use everything that you have for me. I wanna receive anything you have for me and I wanna use it for your kingdom. And I can stay in that space. I can make that choice. And whatever, th whatever around me might make me nervous about the Holy Spirit, about maybe, again, me just stuff I don't understand or um, nothing, something I haven't been taught before, or even an experience that I've had or things I've seen that have been a little weird, to be honest with you. Um, I've just realized that's, that's them and that's there and that's then. What I'm saying right now is in this moment in my life, I want to say yes. I'm not worried about other people. I'm not worried about other experiences. I'm not nervous because I know how much God loves me. I'm not worried about the Holy Spirit being weird. He's not weird. He's incredible. He's powerful. And he knows me inside and out and has good gifts for me. So I just want to offer that encouragement to you and ask you again. When you read these accounts, not only the origin story here in Acts chapter 2, but how the believers learned to work together and love one another and, and serve together because of this empowering of the Spirit. What are you willing to say yes to? How could you pray and invite the Holy Spirit to give you anything and everything that he has? Would you be willing to say, yes, Holy Spirit, come and baptize me the way I read about in Acts chapter two. I want that for my life. I need boldness to witness. I, I know I can talk about you on my own, but oh wow, could I ever use your help? your empowering, your words, more surrender, more of you, less of me. I just need that in my life. I need to level down. There's an amazing resource that I want to leave you with today. Um, our district, the Western Ontario District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, um, has put together a resource called the Holy Spirit Lab. It's uh, going to be on a QR code just here as I wrap up today. And it's actually not made for churches. It was made for credential holders who are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I watched the videos and found them so helpful that I thought, I'm gonna share this with all you guys and I know that they wouldn't mind at all. And uh, there's a little form on there to fill out if you want a coach and that's not, that's for credential holders. So don't worry about that form or whatever, but you're welcome to watch those videos. And if you have questions or you want someone to coach you through, to pray through this with you, then you can just you know, contact somebody at the church at any time and we'd be so delighted to walk through this process with you to walk through these prayers and to walk through any questions that you might have about what it means to be baptized in the holy spirit so avail yourself of the resource say to yourself what am i willing to say yes to what else might there be for my spiritual life and i invite you into that and so we pray together lord thank you for your word Thank you that 
there are just regular people who have been empowered by you. That we don't deserve these gifts, but you pour yourself out freely. And so we surrender ourselves and we just want more and more to be able to say yes to what you have. We want to cooperate. We don't, we don't want to be like that toddler, like not wanting to just uh, do the simple things and, and, and uh, being uncooperative. We want to be uh, those who are stepping out in faith. We want to be those who say, yes, I'm going to cooperate with whatever you want to do in my life. I'm not afraid. I, I know I'm loved. I'm not nervous about you, Holy Spirit. I know you have good gifts and I say yes today. So come Holy Spirit, do in my life what you intend to do in my life. Do in our church what you want to do in our church. We trust you. We want more of you and we say yes to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.